This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It is one of our favorite episodes of the podcast every year. Episode 329, the 2023 Best in Beer episode, part one. Part two will be the critics portion of our Best in Beer episode uh, duo. Uh, For this episode, we are going to share with you both our editor picks for our top 20 beers of 2023, as well as our reader's choice, the thing, the items, the breweries, the themes, the places, the cities that you chose as your favorites of the year. And joining me as always to co-host this episode, Joe Stang, joining from Bangkok. I am delighted, really delighted. It's always a good feeling to get to do this with you, Jamie, because we worked so hard on this issue. And then when we get to like record this and talk about it, it's uh, a really nice closure. It's an immense amount of planning, immense amount of logistics, um, you know, and then the fun part comes where you get to share it with all of you and where breweries get to share and uh, celebrate their successes of the year. It's such a cool, energetic thing. Um, but it's also a great opportunity for, for you and me to talk about, you know, the year, what we've seen this year, what we're watching in terms of trends, how we're seeing things develop, what we're seeing brewers do, um, and also talk about it in a way that, uh, you know, let's just kind of dive into some of the things. Before we get started, we do have an Austin Brewery Accelerator. If you are a brewery and planning and are thinking about launching a brewery, go to breweryworkshop.com. Check out the information about our Austin Brewery Accelerator next March. Um, it's an invaluable tool for anyone who's looking to start a brewery. It's a great place to go. If you are a brewer wondering how you can send us beer for review or for consideration for the Things like this annual best in beer issue, go to beerandbring.com. Click uh, down to the, the very bottom of the page footer. There's a help center link. Click on the help center. And within there, we have a whole article on how to get your beer reviewed in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Walks you through all of the process, has an editorial calendar, you know, as we, we uh, review specific styles in every issue. Um, then in the best in beer issue, like for example, in this best in beer issue that we just put to bed, uh, we also... Uh, reviewed saisons, farmhouse sales, mixed culture beers, as well as uh, seasonal beers, so Oktoberfests and Meritzen beers. You know, so we have deadlines for when you should send us, what you should send us, when. Uh, we like to spread these reviews out across the year and focus each issue on that because it is the most, you know, it's the most valuable way to judge beer, judging like with like and judging large uh, flights of the same style beer, so that we can have context for all of these kinds of judgments. With some of that out of the way, it is now time to get down to it. The you know, the digital edition of the best in beer issue. By the time you are listening to this podcast, we'll have been emailed to all of our subscribers. Print copies are scheduled to arrive within the next week. Next Friday on the podcast, we'll drop the critics list podcast with Kate Bernat, Stan Hieronymus, Courtney Iceman, Alex Kidd, and of course, Joe right here. They'll join me to share their favorite beers, their hot takes, trends, etc., experiences, places, their ideal beer bars, and all the things that they chose uh, for their favorites in, within their critics list. Um, fun way to get a broad uh, nationwide, all United States kind of approach to, to what's good right now. Before we get down into the winners for our editor's picks and as well as our reader's choice, um, we want to talk about our metho- methodology. But first, 
For years, GD Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000 plus breweries across the country. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built, offering 24 7 service and support. GD builds with non proprietary parts, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. GD's in house engineering crew have been piping breweries, wineries, and distilleries for over 30 years. They offer free piping design and consultation with the sale of every chiller they build. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, support for this episode comes from BSG. Looking for a sustainable way to increase fermenter capacity? Try FirmCap Eco from Cary. Developed as part of Cary's Eco Brewing Range, FirmCap Eco is a plant-based alternative to traditional silicon-based products. FirmCap Eco increases fermenter capacity by reducing foam height to improve beer foam stability and enhance hop utilization. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact your BSG sales rep to get started. And is your brewery making its own ciders, seltzers, and other beverages beyond beer? If you need a central source for fruit flavor, Old Orchard has you covered. Old Orchard supplies flavored craft juice concentrate blends to beverage brands for the production of beer, cider, seltzer, wine, spirits, kombucha, and more. Flavor your lineup and streamline your sourcing by heading to oldorchard.com slash brewer. All right, Joe, I am going to take a sip of one of our beers of the year right here and uh, uh, make sure that my throat is well uh, well lubricated for all of the conversation that we're about to have right here. Why don't you talk to, uh, to everybody about our reader's choice methodology, um, how we create a reader survey, poll everybody, and then uh, what happens on the back end when we process all of that information. Well, it's it's uh, pretty straightforward. The invitation goes out to y'all by email. Uh, it's, it's up on the website and... Hopefully, as many of you as possible jump in there and register your opinions on your favorite beers, your favorite brewers, your favorite styles to drink and brew, uh, and more. And so it's it's always fun to see how that shakes out. Um, it's it's uh, to the extent possible. It is not multiple choice. We want you guys to just answer as best you can, and that means there's a little bit of cleanup on our end as far as Jamie's end. I should say he does most of that. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, L- little his- bit is putting it lightly. Let yeah. me tell you how many people spell three Floyds with T H R E E versus yeah. those people that spell three Floyds with a three. Um, yes. You gotta get, anyway, you gotta get those. There's- yeah, all the Cantillions, and you gotta get all that sorted out. Yeah. We take your survey results, we process them, we come up with uh, you know what you've selected and apply these. And, and if you are looking at the, the print or the digital PDF or app version of the magazine, you will notice that all of these categories that you voted on as readers have a bright pink background, a magenta background. Uh, and so it's very easy to track what is reader determined in that way. And our editorial, uh, editorial picks for our top 20 beers of the years that come out of the editorial process are all on a typical white background and our typical running uh, type. And so um, in case this is in any way confusing, we just want to explain that to you. If you see it in that bright, shocking magenta background, that means that's something the readers voted on. Um, And if it's something with that nice beige background, that's one of our critics lists. Those are personal opinions for our critics. And if it's in just a normal white background, then that is uh, coming uh, from our editors. That is uh, part of our editor pick process. And so, of course, you may be asking, what does that editor's pick process look like? Joe, why don't you, again, tell them what it means. Well, you were, you were talking just a minute ago about how to find out how to submit beers 
you the help center on the website. But basically, it's exciting because the process that culminated in this issue is now starting all over again. Uh, and it's it's cool to think about that and to watch. Basically, it starts with the brewers, uh, and you all are deciding what beers to submit to us and to submit to our blind panel review. And that, and that is really where it starts. So you guys decide what to send in. It goes before the panel. There's some some uh, selection because there's more than the panel itself can can judge. Then you score high, then you're in the running, basically. So it's this winnowing down process that goes all year. So almost all of the beers that we consider for the editor's picks come through that process, that blind judging process. Then we get together at the end of the at the end of our year, let's say our our editorial year, because for us this marks the end of our magazine year, I suppose. And we taste them blind again. Uh, we go through the finalists and we, we, we taste what we can. Now, the ones that score really high are pretty much usually locks. Yeah, for any for any given issue, you know, you've got to, we have separate categories. Those top scores in each of those categories in, in all of our issues throughout the year get automatic consideration for our, our beers of the year. Um, not every one of those top scores, it becomes a beer of the year because we have more than 20 and we also want to keep it open to other styles that are broader than just those very specific styles that we tend to review in each issue. Um, and so we have this kind of open-ended submission specifically for the best in beer issue where we ask brewers to, again, send anything that we may not have sent specifically for an issue earlier that year, as well as going back through and tasting some of those highest scorers earlier in the year. And we go back and do that again. So we have a context. Uh, we do that over several days here in the office, uh, along with uh, Stan Hieronymus and Kate Bernat. And this year we also had Patrick Dawson, uh, the beer writer who helped out uh, uh, for one of the days of judging. And we w tasted through these beers again, tasted through beers that we didn't review over the course of the year, just so to make sure that we were, we had a broad base to pull from as we were making some of these decisions. Uh, and then we sat around for a few hours and debated heartily about what would actually make what we wanted to lift up. It is a process that starts with thousands of beers. Those thousands of beers we all taste in any any given year. It uh, becomes narrower with you know because through that course of the year, we'll review maybe or we'll taste probably three or four hundred beers that are sent to us for any given issue of craft beer and brewing. You know, from there we might review through that blind process about 150, 160 per issue. And out of those, you know, that we then review for each issue, we're pulling part of this list and we're pulling the rest of this list from those that are sent specifically for this issue. Does that make sense, Joe? Am I explaining this right? I think so. It makes sense to me. It's, uh, I think it's significantly better than knowing how to make the sausage, I guess. Should also, Nate, that all of our reviewing and all of our, even our blind tasting through this best in beer process is all done blind so that uh, no one knows what they are tasting as they're making decisions about these things. And so um, we find that anytime you see a score in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, you can guarantee it has been judged blind. The only relevant and valid beer scoring for us has to be done blind. Uh, and that the more palace that we have tasting them. And then through any any review that you find in craft beer and brewing, um, they're, they're going to be two judges as, as well as one of our editors who are also tasting those beers in order to make sure that we have got multiple palates on every beer. Uh, we find that that just creates the broadest approach to each one of these beers and helps us. You know, there are plenty of beers that will stand out to one judge, um, but the best beers we find resonate with everybody. 
you know, they, they find this broader based appeal. Um, it's not that that one is not good just because it only appeals to one judge. It just makes it that much more interesting and that much more compelling when we find beers that are equally compelling to a larger number of, uh, of folks that are tasting them. And so that's the way that we approach it, um, just so that everyone understands how we do that. Let's kick in and start talking about reader's choice first before we get into our editor's picks for our top 20 beers of the year. This category of reader's picks that our readers voted on is favorite breweries, and we have, uh, we have divided these up by size. Uh, we divide up by size because... We want to keep the playing field fairly even. Um, certainly the larger the brewery is, the more potential people they could have voting for them. We are equally interested in breweries that brew under 5,000 uh, barrels per year as we are interested in breweries that brew over 100,000 barrels a year. And each one of them are in different categories. Let's start uh, from number 10 to number one with a countdown of our readers' favorite breweries, small breweries, brewing 5,000 barrels per year or less. Joe, why don't you count them down for us? Coming in at number 10, we've got Cellar Maker in San Francisco. At number nine, Side Project in Maplewood, Missouri, a.k.a. St. Louis. Eight, Goldfinger in Downers Grove, Illinois. Number seven, Burial in Asheville, North Carolina. Number six, Monkish in Torrance, California. At number five, Hill Farmstead, Greensboro, Bend, Vermont. Number four, Bierstadt Lagerhouse in Denver. Number three is North Park in San Diego. At number two, Highland Park in Los Angeles. And then your number one favorite small brewery, fewer than 5,000 barrels per year, is Green Cheek in Orange, California. Strong showing from the Southern California voters in, uh, in this year's Reader's Survey. Next up, our top 10 in the small regional breweries. That's 5,000 to 25,000 barrels a year. Number 10, Weldworks in Greeley, Colorado. Number 9, Live Oak from Austin. Number 8, Bottle Logic in Anaheim, California. Number 7, Schilling from Littleton, New Hampshire. Number 6, Pint House out of Austin. Number 5, California's Ghost Town from Oakland. Number four, The Alchemist from Stowe, Vermont. Number three, Alvarado Street in Monterey, California and uh, Salinas. Number two, Trillium in Canton, Massachusetts. And number one in the small and regional uh, brewery, 5,000 to 25,000 barrels per year, Hop Butcher for the World out of Chicago. So for mid-sized regional category, that's going to be from 25,000 to 100,000 barrels a year. At number 10, we got Half Acre in Chicago. At number 9, Fort George in Astoria, Oregon. Number 8, Toppling Goliath in Decorah, Iowa. Number 7, Revolution in Chicago. At 6, Main Beer in Freeport, Maine. At 5, Other Half in Brooklyn. At 4, it's Freem in Hood River, Oregon. Number 3, Breakside in Portland, Oregon. At number 2, Treehouse in Charlton, Massachusetts. And your number 1, favorite brewery in this size category is Russian River in Santa Rosa, California. Uh, they've got quite a legacy in that category so far. Um, all right. Now, next up is Large Brewery. We're calling this 100,000 barrels per year plus. And the number 10 spot, Trogues from Pennsylvania. Dogfish Head's number nine from Delaware. Number eight spot, New Belgium from right here in Fort Collins, Colorado. Number seven, Stone from Escondido, California. 
New Glarus is number six uh, out of Wisconsin. Number five is Founders from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Number four, Firestone Walker out of Paso Robles, California. Number three, Allagash from Portland, Maine. Number two, Bells out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. And in the number one spot, Sierra Nevada Brewing out of Chico, California. Next up, we're going to continue with reader survey. And uh, in this next bit that we're going to uh, share with you, we decided to split out uh, not just by size, but breweries based on what they brew. Um, Because certainly brewers that brew in some smaller beer categories may not uh, find themselves as overall popular. Um, But it's also important to highlight breweries that are uh, focusing on and making styles of beer uh, that may not be the biggest mainstream stellars, but are also just important to the the world's story of beer. So in this, uh, who brews it best? We will give you the top 10 from each category. Of course, there are 20 in each of these categories. And if you want to read the full lists, then you need to subscribe to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on that subscribe button, uh, and we will give you that digital issue immediately, give you access to that in the app, um, because we depend on your support to be able to, to do this, to be able to produce content um, and uh, and it is your support that makes it possible for us to do that. Anyway, let's talk about who brews it best, and we can kick it off. Uh, you know what? I, I don't want to kick it off with American IPA or Hazy IPA. I think we should leave those um, for the end. Let's start off with Pale Ale, your favorite Pale Ale brewers. What's uh, what's the number 10 spot, 10 to 1, in favorite Pale Ale brewer, uh, Joe? All right, at number 10, we've got Freem. Uh, number 9, Hill Farmstead. Number 8, Treehouse. Seven, Breakside in Portland. Number six, Oscar Blues. Number five, Half Acre. Number four, Cellar Maker. At number three, it's Green Cheek. Number two, Three Floyds. And your number one favorite pale ale brewer is a little brewery called Sierra Nevada. You know, it's not even fair in that category. Um, If you looked at it, Sierra Nevada should have probably had the first 10 spots on that list. That uh, that if you divided up all the votes they got, even in the number ten spot, they would still have more votes than the next brewer. It is they are so dominant in that category? It's absolutely incredible. The next category: favorite stout or porter brewer in the number ten spot. Left hand number nine, Fort George. Number eight, Firestone Walker. Number seven, Deschutes. Number six is Bell's. Number five, North Coast. Number four, Bottle Logic. Number three, Goose Island. Number two, Side Project. Moving up from number six last year. And in the number one spot again this year, Guinness. Um, Let's talk about uh, lagers, Joe. All right. So your top 10 favorite lager brewers. And again, for the the complete 20, subscribe to the magazine. Get the print edition. Not too late to get in your mailbox here in a couple weeks. Favorite lager brewer, number 10, Wayfinder. Number nine, Dovetail in Chicago. Number eight, Suarez Family. Number seven, Schilling. Number six, Jack's Abbey. Five, Highland Park. At number four, we have Freem. At number three, Samuel Adams, Boston Beer Company. Number two, Goldfinger. And your number one favorite lager brewer, according to our readers, is the Beerstadt Lager House in Denver. Well done, Bierstadt, and everyone else on the list. Let's talk about favorite sour or wild ale brewer. And in the number 10 spot, Alvarado Street. Number nine, Great Notion. Number three, Dree Fontanen. Number seven is Side Project. Number six, out of Tillamook, Oregon, DeGarde. Number five, Jolly Pumpkin. Number four, Cascade out of Portland, Oregon. The number three spot, Cantillon. 
in the number two spot, Russian River, and reclaiming the number one spot this year, Austin, Texas's Jester King. Uh, how about Saisons, Joe? Oh, I love these. All right, favorite Saison Brewers, the top 10. Here we go. At number 10, Omagong. At number nine, Wolves and People popping into the list. Number eight, Allagash. Number seven, Side Project. At six, Fair Isle in Seattle. At number five, Jester King in Austin. Four, Sante Adarius. Number three, Hill Farmstead. Number two, Boulevard. And your favorite Saison Brewer is the Brasserie Dupont in Torp, Wallonia, Belgium. Well, well deserved still. Let's talk about favorite Abbey style brewer, the number 10 spot, Unibrew. Number nine, Duval. Number eight, The Lost Abbey. Number seven, Rochefort. And the number six spot, Omegong. Number five, Allagash. Number four, Westmala. Number three, Shime. Number two, St. Bernardus. And the number one spot, uh, it's the what uh, St. Sixtus Abbey, West of Lettren. And I'm sure I butchered that one. No, but, uh, we no, don't that was to... good. <laughs> all right, all right. Why don't you walk us through uh, hazy IPA brewers, Joe? Okay. Uh, at number 10, other half. At number nine, Pint House in Austin. Your number eight favorite hazy IAP brewer is Sierra Nevada. Number seven, Trillium. Six, Weldworks. Five, The Alchemist. Number four is Monkish. Number three is their neighbors, Green Cheek. And number two, Hot Butcher. And your number one favorite hazy IPA brewer is Treehouse. And now let's talk about your favorite American IPA brewer, starting with number 10, a brewer that I'm drinking a beer of right now, Fatheads uh, out of Ohio. And number nine, Hop Butcher out of Chicago. Number eight, Treehouse. Number seven, Stone. Number six, Bells. On the strength of Two-Hearted. Number five, North Park. Moving up the list. Uh, number four, Breakside. Number three, Sierra Nevada. The number two spot, Green Cheek. And in the number one spot, Russian River. Once again, also dominant in that category. Uh, no surprise. No surprise at all. Well, let's flip it forward a little bit and talk about your uh, reader favorite beer cities. Um, we, this year again, decided to ask you for both your favorite international cities and your favorite U.S. cities. Quite a bit of movement this year, I think, uh, on that U.S. city list. It's always interesting to see where the votes come from. And they are, you know, sometimes breweries make a little bit of get-out-the-vote push. And uh, I think we saw a lot of that both in Chicago and in Southern California this year. Some breweries that, that pushed out. And so we saw a lot of representation there. Um, and for anyone who thinks, oh, maybe that's not fair, all I can say is, it's open to everyone share this with your with your customers uh make them help them become readers of craft beer and brewing and help them uh, uh vote for great beer or the best beer as they see it anyway let's talk about our top 10 u.s cities uh joe what's that number 10 city at number 10 austin texas was 14 at number nine grand rapids michigan that was 13 so you're seeing the movement here number eight los angeles which wasn't on the list last year Number seven, Boston. Uh, number six, Portland, Maine. There's some different Portlands, you know. Number five, Denver, which was three last year. Asheville, North Carolina was one last year. Now it's four. Portland, Oregon is at number three. 
At number two, San Diego. And your number one favorite U.S. beer city right now is Chicago. And I think that's a great pick. And I think it's cool to see it getting recognized. What a great beer town. Lots and lots, you know, fantastic breweries. Lots of great breweries, great beer bars, and a great tradition of brewing there in the upper Midwest. Let's talk about international cities. And we'll start this one at number 10, Copenhagen, Denmark in that 10 spot. Number nine, Bruges, Belgium. Number eight, Bamberg, Germany, a place that Joe and I got out to earlier this year. Can't wait to go back. Uh, I highly recommend your travel in Germany with Joe. Uh, he is the <laughs> best tour guide that anyone uh, could possibly ask for. Number seven spot, Amsterdam, Netherlands. Number six, Cologne, Germany. Number five, Dublin, Ireland. Number four, London, England, a place I'm going to go head later this year, a couple weeks. Uh, number three, Prague, Czechia, another city that Joe and I uh, got to earlier this year, and what a phenomenal beer city that is. Number two spot, Brussels, Belgium, of course, and in the number one spot yet again this year, Munich, Germany. That's a, that's an interesting one, right? It's number one again, and it's, it's obviously on the strength of Oktoberfest and Helles and it just being a beautiful place, but is it really the best beer city? Anyway, that maybe that's another podcast. It, if if there's an editor's pick for best international beer city, Joe, what's your editor's pick? Oh, I'm totally biased toward Brussels, but uh, but Prague is there, Bamberg, those are my top three. So they're well represented in this list, even if they're not in that number one spot where you would particularly put them. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm happy to see Brussels up there. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about favorite beer bars. This is a category that. Uh, that Joe and I are particularly motivated around with a deep amount of love. It's been a tough year for beer bars. We've seen a lot, uh, a lot of challenges out there. And I just want to say it if I haven't said it enough times, beer bars are absolutely crucial for beer culture. We have been hardcore supporters of beer bars and the place that they play in beer culture since the very first of this, uh, the issue of this magazine. Our Love Handles department, since the very start of the magazine for the last 10 years, has aimed to highlight some of the best in places to drink beer that are not brewery tap rooms around the world. And, uh, you know, and I, and so, I just want to implore everyone out there listening to please support the beautiful places, local and further afield, where you can go and drink great beer. And as brewery tap rooms are an important part of this as well, um, but don't ignore great beer bars in this you know in this overall celebration of great beer culture. They are absolutely crucial, absolutely integral, you know, to the the culture the breweries uh, and the, the craft beer in general has created here, uh, and so. That's my monologue. I know you don't you don't disagree with me there, Joe. No, I just I you know tap rooms, brewery tap rooms are are getting better and better all the time and they're in a way the reality is they're kind of cannibalizing the beer bar space. That's just reality. When you go to a city and you're trying to figure out where you want to go drink some great beers, you're thinking of breweries as well as you're thinking of beer bars. Now, it used to be just beer bars. So, that's the reality. It is kind of taking up that headspace for us, but Bars have have had to up their game. There are still lots of great ones out there. Uh, and if you want them to exist, get out there and support them. 100%. Uh, I have been spending more time drinking beers at locals here in Colorado rather than just drinking at home. Um, because especially after spending some time in uh, in Prague, like it kind of reinforced to me just how 
much more fun it is to drink socially and drink in these social spaces rather than just holding up with my beer and going deep inside of it myself within my own head. There is something beautiful about that act of drinking together. And it's something that we should not lose even in this kind of post pandemic world as we're trying to figure out what our new social normal is. Nonetheless, let's talk about best beer bars around the world as voted on by the readers of craft beer and brewing in the number 10 spot orange and brew out of downers grove illinois the number nine spot another one from chicago the beer temple the number eight spot motor lambic in brussels the number seven tap and handle from fort collins colorado number six church key from washington dc one of my faves and uh our, one of our longtime contributors now greg ingert for the brewing industry guide uh, key player in church key number five brick store pub got there last december beautiful beautiful spot in atlanta georgia number four navari res in portland maine number three tornado classic classic number two monk's cafe in philadelphia a place i first went to 20 years ago uh 20 years ago this year joe and in the number one spot representing chicago like i said the chicago voters came out in droves this year hop leaf hop leaf takes the crown for number one beer bar this year. Congratulations, Hop Leaf. Absolutely. So next up, we're going to share with you our reader's choice. That's our reader's choice for their top 25 beers, or I should say your top 25 beers of 2023. But first, Pro Brew is excited to announce that they are currently featuring short lead times between two and four weeks for their in-stock Profill rotary can fillers. These can fillers run at speeds between 100 and 600 plus cans per minute while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers. For more information, fill out their contact form on www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. Probrew brew your beer also oh you like wildly aromatic ipas and tropical lagers good thing omega designed thialized yeast just for that reason thialized yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops and wait there's more omega yeast makes a yeast to order with a consistent one week lead time ensuring peak freshness and reliability all right, let's talk about a reader's choice for top 25. Um, and it is 25 this year. Uh, we are making it harder and harder for breweries to appear in our reader's top list. Um, so these are these are the top beers as voted on by the readers of Craft Beer and Brewing. Um, and let's just break these up. Uh, talk about the top uh, 25 to 20 there, Joe. All right, at number 25, New Glarus Spotted Cow. Number 24, The Alchemist, Focal Banger. At 23, Sierra Nevada, Torpedo. At 22, Pilsner Urkel from Pilsen in Bohemia. Number 21, Green Cheek, The Other Brian. At number 20, Pint House, Electric Jellyfish. All right, at number 19, Orval. Number 18, Firestone Walker's Pivo Pills. Number 17, Alvarado Street Mai Tai IPA. Number 16, Breakside Wanderlust. Number 15, The Alchemist Heady Topper. Uh, at number 14, we got Freem Pilsner. At 13, Goose Island Bourbon County Stout. Number 12, North Park Hop Foo. Popping into the list for the first time. Number 11, Highland Park Timbo Pills. 
And it's going to number 10, Extra Stout from a brewery called Guinness in Ireland. The number nine spot, Saison DuPont. And the number eight spot, Bierstadt Lagerhouse's Slowport Pills. In the number seven spot, Treehouse Julius, jumping way back up the list this year from the 24 spot last year. And in the number six spot, Sierra Nevada Celebration, a much-loved beer amongst uh, those uh, in the beer industry. For your top five Reader's Choice beers, your five favorite beers, according to you, five, Allagash White. Number four, Russian River Blind Pig. Number three, Bell's Two-Hearted IPA, which was five last year. Number two, which was three last year, Russian River, Pliny the Elder. And your number one favorite beer is Sierra Nevada Pale Ale again this year. Congrats to all the favorite beers. Man, they have really been uh, consistent uh, with that in the Sierra Nevada side over the last few years. A lot of love there. A lot of love. Um, and, uh, you know, I we can't certainly can't disagree with our readers or all of the love that people share with all of those breweries. It's also great, and let me just say this, to see so many classic beers in everyone's uh, you know top 25. Um, as much as, as important as new beers are and as important as it is to, to celebrate innovation in the world of brewing, I'm also really glad that every year we can celebrate these beautiful beers that brewers make year in, year out, um, wonderfully constructed beers that they keep brewing in such beautiful ways um, and making such beautiful expressions of the brewer's art. So, uh, having said that, it is now time for us to roll into our editor's picks for the best beers in 2023. Uh, again, you know, as, as we mentioned at the top, these are beers that we choose from the beers that our blind panel has rated highest over the course of the year, as well as beers that we taste blind through our best in beer judging process and also add into that consideration. And then... When all of those things are said and done, we've got a big, 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 long list of of these top beers, and we whittle it down into what we say, uh, what we feel, and what we think are our top twenty beers that uh, that sum up this year in beer for a whole variety of reasons. And so, on the first, the first beer of our editor's picks for the best twenty beers in twenty twenty three, it's a beer out of Arizona, uh, Arizona Wilderness, a beer called Jitterbug Perfume. It is the most beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful beers that we've seen all year. Maybe the most beautiful beer that we've seen all year. Packaged in a clear bottle. Um, uh, nominally a Saison style beer, but I wouldn't say that uh, it's that Saison character that jumps out at you the most. Um, it is a beet beer. It, you know, it has this kind that, you know, that kind of earthy, but also fruity character, um, you know, that comes out of that. It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't have that beet bitterness, but it has that gorgeous, beautiful color. Uh, and this beer also sums up what I really, really love about what American brewers in that's kind of mixed culture and sour beer world are pushing towards today. And that is taking on the natural wine world head on and saying, Hey, you can make funky wine, but listen, we've been making funky beer for a lot longer uh, and actually have uh, processes that can produce beautifully drinkable things, beautifully drinkable be uh, beverages, 
that uh, engage in the same kind of consumption mode, the same kind of visually arresting color, um, but also have a more broad flavor profile to them. This this Arizona Wilderness beer was uh, just a revelation. Joe, you, uh, you, you tasted it. All of our judges tasted it. Uh, it. It blew everybody away. It was stunning. I mean, I, and if you had told me, you know, at the beginning of the year, one of your best of the year is going to be a beet beer, uh, we, I, you know, I would have probably believed you, but it would, but it would have been skeptical. The, it, it was, yeah, striking to look at, but even, even better to drink that the way that tart citrus and the, uh, dryness, er, er, the oak, all just balanced beautifully. I noted that when I went back in and, uh, and drank another bottle of it, writing, writing our, uh, our mention for this, uh, this story in the magazine, um, that kind of oaky edge to it that created this like vanilla ish softness that helped kind of buffer some of that earthier beet character as well as some of the citrus acidity that came with it just worked in this perfect kind of harmony to create this softness but also this punch and also this beautiful balance you know between bitterness sweetness uh acidity uh, citrus character um it the the balance was just absolutely perfect it this rated 100 with the blind judges of craft beer and brewing this year uh, a well-earned score one of uh only a couple of beers that have scored 100 over the course of this past year. Uh, absolutely beautiful, absolutely stunning, and uh, a craft beer and brewing beer of the year. Um, what's next on our list, Joe? Out of San Antonio, Weathered Souls, good morning, man. It's a, uh, I, I'm sure, you know, you can correct my pronunciation. I don't, my, not, my Jamaican's a little bit rusty. Um, so this was- Patois, Patois, which, by the way- <laughs> Uh, may become the official language of Jamaica. I was I was really excited to see that uh, Jamaica is taking steps to break away from the British Commonwealth, and uh, you know part of that may be, be uh, turning patois, Jamaican patois, into the official language of Jamaica, I, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Well, this was a beer. Anyway, uh, yeah, nonetheless. Anyway, good morning, mom. Yeah, good morning, mom. We just sound whiter and whiter the more we get in there. The uh, this is a beer that absolutely killed it at our editorial table it was consensus pick we all just knew when we when we tasted it um and we still didn't know yet you know where it was from i think that's important to to keep pointing out from the name you might pick up there's a jamaican theme there's jamaican blue mountain coffee going in there um there's uh a lot of other marcus baskerville's favorite other other uh toys cacao nibs and coconut and hazelnuts man he loves to throw all the fun stuff into the stouts and it just, he knows what he's doing. He's been doing it for a long time and it really works thick and leggy in the glass. Like it's just fun to look at. There's a little, little suggestion of chili in there too. It, it is a sweet beer, but is deep. And I think that was something that we kept coming to in our discussion. Um, and not, not for the first time. It's a a theme we talk about. Sometimes we talk about dessert stouts, these big Imperial barrel aged stouts. Um, yeah, they're sweet. They're supposed to be sweet, but sweet is, if it's only sweet, you got a problem. There needs to be depth. And this had all the depth and a lot of it's coming from that coffee. There's like a dark roast mocha cuppa thing going on there. Dark chocolate drizzle, uh, like bonbons are coming in my head there. And then you still got those uh, those nice berry esters that, that I think that's a lot. Depth comes from there too. It gives you a suggestion of acidity, even if it's not there, like in your brain, it kind of works. Makes it so that it's it's uh, giving it some some perspective and dimension. Anyway, delicious beer. Congratulations to Marcus. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. This was 
looking forward to drinking this one again sometime. Couldn't agree with you more, Joe. I, I love that beer, and I think that that uh, that the roast and the coffee is that perfect foil for some of the more indulgent uh, characters. And that when we were tasting in our best in beer tasting, just uh, just blew me away with the kind of balance that he found in that, despite all the intensity and flavor. All right, next up, we go to West Coast IPA, but it's an East Coast brewery out of New York City, Finback Headspace West Coast IPA. Our top scoring one of our top scoring west coast ipas from the ipa issue and and to be a top scoring west coast ipa literally beating out you know 50 80 you know other west coast ipas to to hit this kind of scoring honor uh, i don't know the exact number i've got to go back and dig that up um but but what a feat the other crazy thing is that uh headspace was not the only beer uh that was in consideration for a beers of the year uh finback's Crispy Town, uh, West Coast Pilsner, was also a top scorer this year in our lager issue. Uh, and as a result of that, we reached out to them after seeing that score uh, that came through our blind panel. We did reach out to them and worked on a, a brewer's perspective and shared they shared a homebrew recipe for Crispy Town. Um, and, you know, just so that it's very clear to everybody, this is how our editorial process works. Our, editor, our, our blind panel may review something. When we see something come through that strong through our blind review process, we obviously want to reach out to those brewers and, and build more content around that because we know you are going to be interested in how they've gone about doing that. And so that's exactly what we did. Um, shared the recipe and their perspective on Brewing Crispy Town, which if you are a craft beer and brewing subscriber – you have access to. So if you are not a Craft Beer and Bring subscriber, what are you waiting for? Go subscribe. Anyway, that was Crispy Town, uh, one of their, their 98 scoring West Coast Pilsner. But this beer that's on our top list, our, our best 20 beers of the year, is a West Coast IPA made by this New York City brewery. Um, but it caught out all of, I mean, our, our, our blind review panel loved it. We noted notes of pink lemonade, peach, pomegranate, like a very subtle dankness, but just enough dankness right there um, to add this kind of depth and interest. You know, it felt lean and light, but also like kind of playful. Um, you know, it showed that uh, West Coast IPA doesn't have to be uh, just an intense uh, experience. It's not just about beating people over the head with it. It can be that. Um, it, uh, it can be unyielding and, and strong, um, but it can also just be light and playful and fruity, but also nicely balanced with all of these kind of spicy, dank, and other notes. Um, the beautiful thing that we're seeing in West Coast IPA is both this, uh, you know, is this wonderful flavor, but also this kind of restraint. And I think that uh, when we think about what is what our judges are responding to, finding that kind of balance. It's not simply about doing as much as you can anymore. It's figuring out how to do as much as you can and then pulling it back and paring it down to the essentials um, and building beautiful drinkable beers that we can enjoy this hot flavor of beer after beer after beer. And that is exactly the space that Finback Headspace occupies. All right, Joe, after uh, after Finback, uh, we go mixed culture. We do. And we, you were talking about recipe uh, in the magazine. I've got a recipe for this one in my back pocket, and I'm looking forward to sharing that really soon, particularly for our all-access subscribers. We send out all-access recipes, and this is going to be exclusive for our all-access subscribers. Uh, this is from now Santa Fe, formerly from Chicago, Keeping Together. And this was another you know, consensus pick at our, at our, our blind table. And it was, uh, yeah, it's just a, a really 
beautiful beer. It's a very pretty beer. And it was fun to drink and fun to talk about. Uh, and it was a comforting beer too. And the thing with, with Avery Swanson, man, she is a really creative brewer. And she comes from uh, a different starting point, I think, than a lot of other brewers. She's what I would call an expressionist. Uh, and I think that um, I knew some of these when I was in Belgium. Um, some people have, you know, they just are, I don't know, uh, right brain thinkers or is it left brain? I get them mixed up. Um, where she, what she's trying to do is communicate a feeling or a memory and evoke that through her beer. And it sounds um, new agey or what is this? It sounds like kind of, I don't know if you, if you don't, if you haven't tasted them, it, it may sound a little bit um, fluffy, but then it works. And it, it's just I, it, she, because she's really good at what she does and she knows how to um, turn this communication into flavors in a technical way. So it's, we should probably talk about this particular beer. Thoughts without a thinker. It's got Earl Grey tea. It's got some citrus. It's a Saison. Uh, a little bit of saffron, and I don't know what that does, but it, but uh, I mean, from a flavor standpoint, but it's, it's cool. Makes the beer yeah. very expensive I mean, to make. It, it, yeah. yeah, but it, it probably does something that that's part of that overall picture. And it's just, um, you get this like, there's a, there's a mimosa like juiciness to this beer. Um, and it, but then it just like sparkles away into dry cobwebs. It's just so dry. And then, and then you got to go back for more of that kind of juicy hit on there. It was really fun. There's this like white wine cellar floor Britannomyces hit there that's really cool. And then the the Earl Grey is like this just um well the way the way Kate says it in her notes, I think is really nice. The Earl Grey is like a sweater that wraps up the rest of the beer. Orange hits first and washes swiftly away. The combination of the two is a very nostalgic moment of drinking tea after dinner in an armchair. I mean, that's hard to pull off as a brewer. Avery did it. Congratulations, Avery. Fantastic beer. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Beautiful beer. And, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to it yet, I had a great conversation with Avery down in Santa Fe uh, a few months ago. Um, just got an incredible approach to making beer. And we are happy and excited um, that blindly our judges also responded just as positively to the very creative work that she's putting out there in the world. Um, next up on our list, we're going into Lagerland, Templin family out of Salt Lake City, Utah, Granary Keller Beer. This one, if you are a subscriber to the magazine, know that it scored a 99 and was the top scoring German style Pilsner on our list this year. When we say Keller Beer, it is only like Mart nominally, you know, Keller in that sense. Um, not a very hazy beer, mostly clear. Um, from that regard, and probably doesn't have as much of that younger beer character as some people might expect out of uh, something purely uh, referred to as Keller beer. Um, but this one was just stunning in the way that it embraces this character of malt and embraces this idea of fullness. Joe and I have lots of conversations, as we do with uh, you know other brewers, about the kind of um, Oh, I should, we should say the limitations of, or maybe, you know, the complete bankruptcy of the term crispy boy <laughs> and how this kind of reductive idea, uh, this reductive term, well, while we are excited that it has made more people excited about lager in general, 
Uh, what we are less excited about is the idea that all loggers should embrace minimalism, that it is somehow only about being light and crisp, and that that is somehow what loggers should be. Anyone who spent enough time uh, exploring the varying loggery traditions of Europe knows that that is absolutely not the case, that there are very few European brewers that would describe their beers as minimal. Um, in fact, we heard it more often in the Czech Republic, uh, those beers described as sweet and full, um, you know, within, uh, you know, that kind of Franconia, Bamberg area, you know, same kind of thing. You find, you know, you know, brewers describing the kind of fruit and citrus characteristics, uh, you know, flavors within the, the hops that they use in those beers. Like these beers, you know, lager beer, you know, and maybe the, I'm, I'm making your point here, Joe, maybe I should let you make this point, but lager beer, Hellas, you know, Pilsner and others, uh, is as much about malt as it is about hops and these other characters. And, you know, in terms of making lager, we shouldn't shy away from that kind of character in lager making. I agree. I, I, I mean, yeah, like you said, that's an argument I've made. But I also th I think there are different ways to get to the destination, right? And um, I think that crisp is not a meaningless word. It does mean something. Um, for me, it's like a lightness and a structure and a quick finish. Um, and there's some implies some some bitterness, but um, it, it is meaningful, and I think it's a cool thing to go for, particularly in hot climates. I'm living in I'm here in Bangkok right now, and if you know Singha and Asahi weren't crisp, they wouldn't be nearly as refreshing. So there is a, a lot to be said for crisp, but that is not the only way to crack the nut, so to speak. There is some of the traditional loggers that are inspiring us. Uh, there really is body to it and, and, and more character. And right here in this Templin Granary Keller beer, you know, those kind of bread dough notes, floral hops, light touch of lemon zest, you know, it feels familiar, it feels comfortable. The beer can be different things to different people, you know, but what captured us and I think what, what really uh, resonated with our blind judges the most was this feeling of refinement, you know, that while it could be these different experiences, depending on what you're looking for in the beer, um, the hop flavor, the hop aroma, uh, it exuded this fineness you know it's a term that we heard we hear often you know from european lager brewers like f capturing that quality of fineness is important you know and this beer even if it is this kind of ex uh, accessible you know drinkable in you know, threes or fours kind of you know pilsner beer uh you know with a strong hop character but a balanced hop character like it is just something that uh, it feels so elegant and so refined and it can be that anyway a beautiful beer an absolutely stunning beer coming out of salt lake city utah um and that actually that score of that beer in that issue is what got me to drive out there to utah and go do a podcast with them because uh, naturally when i see these kinds of things come through i, I just want to learn more congratulations to templin for uh, for one of our beers of the year okay joe next up yeah this one is fun because it really shouldn't be here or it didn't need to be here, or I'm not sure how to put that, because you can win a gold medal at, at GABF, but that is really has nothing to do with our our editor's picks for this, our top 20. Um, and this one won a gold just, you know, the week before we sat down to do blind tasting. Not only that, but this beer, I... It, it, Joe, you're doing, you're doing an editor thing again. What? You're bearing the lead. Ah. You didn't even I'm tell him there. what the beer I'm is. I'm getting there. It's a slow reveal. It's a slow reveal. Be patient with me. Oh, man. It's, man. it's uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting into the Midwest coast here. This is Fathead's Headhunter out of Ohio. Uh, yeah, they had just won a gold medal the week before, 
They now correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie. They did they submit this for IPA issue this year? That they didn't submit it for IPA issue, but they did send us all of their beers for the best in beer issue. Right. And so out of you know, consideration and given that they had just won a gold medal, I was like, I'm going to slide this into our best in beer tasting and just see, uh, you know, if Joe and Stan and Kate and Patrick, uh, you know, maybe respond to it in a similar kind of way and uh, respond. You did uh, blindly. Of course, you didn't know that that was what this beer was. And it was in a context with some pretty amazing, like, you know, what I have implored every brewer not to do is to send us IPAs for the best in beer issue. My goodness, you know, we taste enough IPAs during the IPA issue. I don't want to see any more of those from folks. But we did make space for a couple only for these good reasons, and this is one of those good reasons. Um, and you all couldn't get enough of this one. Ah, it was delicious, man. And I, I also, it's fun to think about where to where to categorize it. Maybe we should talk about how it, what, how it tastes first. I mean, it's got that nice firm bitterness you expect from what we used to call American IPA. I, they're selling this now. I don't know if they always did this, but they're marketing as a West Coast style now, um, which people, you know, we could have talked about this with the Finback beer too, I suppose, but like the regional designation can be baggage at times, um, particularly when the beer is not coming from the West Coast. Um, in this case, people these days now, we know what it means. It communicates something. And and I think, is it West Coast? Style? I don't know. Close enough. It's dry. It's bitter. It's got this really nice like sun-kissed orange candy juiciness to a lemon drop candied citrus peel so there's that sweetness there but then it's but then it dries out into that nice clean bitter finish um it's just man it's fun to drink it's it's just didn't put a foot wrong anywhere a little bit of that resin lingers you know just just enough to like remind you what it's supposed to be um anyway yeah it's a delicious beer congratulations fatheads you guys like are killing it this year and, you know, sometimes those GABF judges may, maybe know what they're talking about. Absolutely. And, uh, I, you know, I've, I've been uh, emailing back and forth with uh, Matt Cole, the brewmaster for Fatheads. Like, we're going to get a podcast going some here, sometime here in the next few months and try to tap into understanding what the real secret is behind all of this Fatheads, uh, you know, magic. Because it's not just IPA that they crush it in, you know, German-style wheat beer and others. Uh, they are consistently making some killer beers uh, across some styles like that uh, in a breadth of styles. So anyway, I want to learn more and, you know, I need some excuse to go out to Cleveland, right? I mean, sounds like a great place to go in the wintertime. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, we're going to move. The next beer on our uh, top 20 beers of 2023 is a barley wine, a barley wine of all things. I'm going to tell you about that in a second, but first, who doesn't love free samples? The perfect puree is offering a free sample box of their frozen fruit purees, concentrates, and blends to professional brewers. Picked at the peak of ripeness, their fruit is pureed and frozen for optimal fresh flavor and color. Explore classics from red raspberry and blood orange to unique fruit juice blends such as Yuzu Luxe Sour. Choose from 40-plus flavors and build a free sample box at perfectpuree.com beer. That's perfect puree, P-U-R-E-E dot com forward slash beer. Complimentary to professionals only. Also, this episode is brought to you by Yakima Chief Hops. The 7th Annual Pink Boots Blend is now available for pre-order. $3 of every pound of the Pink Boots Blend purchased 
will be donated to the Pink Boots Society, a nonprofit organization that supports women and non-binary individuals in the fermented and alcoholic beverage industry through education. Place your orders from Yakima Chief Hops and secure your volume of this limited blend for your Pink Brutes Collaboration Brew Day on March 8th, International Women's Day. Learn more at www.yakimachief.com slash pink-boots-blend. A great cause and a great company, so get out there, support. All right, let's talk about barley wine next. Next up, New Image 9505. You know, uh, we this this one is one that our blind reviewers reviewed last fall in our pale ale and other things issue, and they scored it a ninety nine. Right around the same time, I noticed that it won a I think it was a silver medal from the Fobob Festival of Barrel Aged Beers uh, in that kind of barley wine category. Uh, clearly crushing crushing it last year in this kind of category. So our, our judges gave this, you know, this beer a 99. Um, let me tell a little story about it. They released the first batch of, of 9505, and that was the one that they entered last year in Fobob and also sent to us um, that our judges judged for, for that issue. Um, when it came time this year, obviously as a, as a top scorer with a score of 99, it was automatically in contention. And so I asked them to send us Send us some 9505. We want to revisit it. Well, the beer they sent us was actually batch two of 9505, where the only difference was that it sat in casks for like another nine months or something. Um, it was the same exact original brew. They had just de-barreled the first part, bottled it, released it as batch one. And batch two, they just left it in casks, left it in bourbon cask, and then uh, pulled it back out. Uh, you know, nine months later, bottled that, and that was what we tasted the second time around. You know, I don't know that I've ever tasted age I, that has improved a beer that much, uh, improved a really phenomenal beer that much. You know, we started with our baseline from the original batch of 99 because it is an incredible, it was an incredible beer. It was absolutely stunning. Kind of capture these almost Amarana, you know, style uh, character, like vanilla notes, uh, cinnamon, allspice, um, definitely some chocolatey notes. It's, it's on the darker side of that barley wine spectrum, has this kind of richness without falling into kind of stout territory. I was very much about this kind of spicy flavor, flavor with this just beautiful, 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 uh, you know, rich bourbon whiskey spirits character. You know, Stan described it as dark fruits, toffee, uh, dark chocolate, and sherry. Um, but it is so well integrated. It is so cohesive, um, you know, that even picking out these individual flavors doesn't really do it justice. There is a, you know, it was a bit boozy. I mean, this is a big beer, of course, you know, but in this case, that booze worked to support the kind of weight and heft of the flavor, you know, those oaky bourbon notes. It kind of makes sense within that kind of context. You know, you don't think that a beer that's rated a 99 could really go any place. There's not a lot of room to go. This is one of those beers that made me wish that we had more points because it didn't even feel like 99, as Stan said, 99 is too low. I would think that if that was our judging stand, like our judging, you know, standard, that even maybe 100 might be a little too low for this beer. I don't know that I can exaggerate when I say I think this was one of this was my personal favorite beer this year. 
the beer that stood out to me the most, and maybe even of the last five years. It was so singular and so interesting, but also so refined that, um, it, you know, I, I just, I can't stop thinking about it. And it really did hit me in that kind of, that kind of singular way. So I don't know, you, you tasted it, Joe. How'd you feel about it? I, I, well, I mean, we all loved it. Um, I think that one of the things I keep thinking about with the barley wines is we, the discussion we kept having was beer flavors. We were looking for beer flavors. That sounds really oversimplified and dumb, but in the context of, I think in recent years, barley wines have kind of gotten in the way that Imperial Stouts have too, kind of chasing these higher finishing gravities. So they get thicker and sweeter. Um, and that, and that can work. Um, but you need that depth. And I think this was a more balanced, uh, example with all of the depth you could possibly ask for all of the dark fruit esters playing in with all the many, many layers of caramel. And it tasted like a barley wine and, and there's whatever it is, you're like, idea in the back of your head of what a barley wine is. It's just like triggered all those things. And then there was more, more to explore. And that was super fun to taste. For our next beer on this list, we actually flip back into uh, mixed fermentation again. Um, this one may be a little more of a, you know, a beer that we might call a, a wild ale or a, a sour beer. Um, Joe, talk to us about uh, the next beer on the yeah, list. I'm, I'm going to give you the lead up front this time. This is from Nashville, Southern Grist. And it's their uh, gin barrel aged version of Perpetual Composition. Perpetual Composition is a Solera style uh, mixed culture beer. Uh, so it, it, they pull some out, put some back in, and they do different things with it. Uh, and, and gin barrels, you know, it's, I don't know, I've been really excited by what's been going on with uh, mixed culture beers and gin barrels lately. Uh, last year in our top 20, we had the Sapwood Cellars Neologism here. And it was just the way that the botanicals can work with, uh, you know, working with yeast and and Britannomyces uh, and, and bacteria to suggest citrus without without often there being any citrus in there. Um, and it's sort of the, I don't know, I'm, you know, old enough to remember some really dodgy gin barrel beers from back in the day. Uh, and you get the, you got the worst of the gin and none of the fun. And I feel like maybe brewers are really, of course, these are the cream of the crop, but maybe y'all are getting the hang of this. No, I think you're right, Joe. I think that there is like this is uh, uh, there is a direct correlation here, and that amongst some of our favorite beers in this kind of this kind of spectrum, that gin barrel aging has a tremendously positive effect. And you know, obviously, when it's not handled well. It's not a great beer and it doesn't make the list, but when you're talking about a great beer, and I should say that this Southern Grist Perpetual Composition is a great beer. Other The other expression that they sent to us um, you know, for blind review all, scored a 95, the Blueberry Perpetual Composition. And, uh, you know, and so from here, the Blueberry you know, scored a 95, the Gin Barrel Age scored a 99. Um, a tremendous, obviously they're starting from this tremendous base, um, but it's this Gin Barrel expression that just put this specific one just over the top. I So a little bit about this beer. Um, it spent nine months in a Bordeaux fooder and then eight more in the gin casks. And how all that squares with the Solera thing, I don't know. I'm interested as a, you know, someone who writes about brewing, uh, as, a, as a taster, don't care. It's delicious. Um, and then you get this um, just like really bright, classy lemon floral on the nose. 
Uh, you get the little bit of the juniper, mint, and berries we were getting. Um, and then the acidity is just nicely judged. It's gently tart. I was getting a little bit of seaside there, a little saline whiff. I, I don't know what that, maybe if that's from from uh, the bread or from the gin, or I, I have no idea. But uh, there's just like this minty juniper stripe that runs through it that's really, really nice all the way through like that gentle acidity, dry finish. As um, elaborate, as elaborately as this beer was made using big flavored components, it's so elegant and just like delicate and really fun to drink and it just works beautifully and i'm sure we're gonna see now more brewers out there making mixed culture beers putting them in gin barrels and then what do you do you just print money after that right sales success guarantee you know if someone's trying to uh, appeal to cocktail drinkers this is a fantastic way to do it with a beer um you know with with beautiful breath and character nonetheless let's talk about the next beer on the list bks pivo project out of uh, kansas city missouri Bohemian style Pilsner. This is another one that rated a 99 in our lager issue with our blind reviewers in that kind of check pale lager category. Um, you know, this is one now, you know, Joe and I came back from uh, Czechia uh, and I, I don't know about you, Joe, but I became somehow I became a complete asshole <laughs> about all of this stuff. I've, know, I've always been like, that way, JD. Uh, I was already like that. So <laughs> welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I joined this club with Joe where we're complete assholes about this. Um, no, where you feel like you have to lecture everybody on what an actual Czech lager is, which for American brewers, let me just say this, it you sh it's not just using Czech ingredients. That's your first step. But if you're going to make a Czech-style pale lager and you want to make it actually Czech-style and not just Czech ingredients – Make it like the checks do. You got to double the cockpit. You've got to, you know, build this kind of fullness into it. You have to, you know, have this kind of malt heft that supports this intense hop character because that's how the checks do it. It's got to be drinkable. It's got to have this pithelnost. It, uh, you know, it just it needs to, you know, you need to be able to drink, you know, seven eight, nine of them in a sitting. Uh, and so the balance has to be absolutely spot on there. Um, but they're also not, you know, they're not meant to be minimal either. And so we see a lot of minimal expressions of Czech lager. Uh, and thankfully our judges have, you know, can sniff those out. And, uh, uh, this beer is not one of those. It, uh, you know, captured the kind of heft, the kind of malt heft, um, that, uh, the thing that the Czech brewers might describe as sweetness, but it's really this kind of fullness in the body that gets captured through that double decoction process that also offsets some of the dryness. You know, it has both of those things, which I think becomes this interesting balance and this interesting kind of tension in Czech pale lager that it is both dry and it has this feeling of a fullness of sweetness. And so, you know, it, but the key to it is the time, right? You know, it needs to start with that feeling of fullness and sweetness and it needs to finish dry. Uh, if it finishes sweet and full, then you're not doing something right and you don't want to take another sip and you don't want to finish that glass. And the key to Czech style pale lager is finishing the glass and then finishing the next glass, then finishing the glass after that, and then finishing the next two or three glasses after those, because 
that's how Czech pale lager is consumed. And so if your beer can't do that, then it's functionally not doing it the right way. Anyway, BKS, uh, you know, Artisan Ales in Kansas City, um, Brian and Mary have done a phenomenal job, you know, of, of embracing that kind of tension in this beer, producing this kind of prized drinkability, um, handling the strong hop loads and the, you know, the kind of the fullness in the body and still maintaining this uh, drinkability to the whole beer. And they've done it as American brewers approaching this kind of Czech style. They've done it in an absolutely beautiful way. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and plug an article here too that we just posted on Monday. And you don't even need to be a subscriber to read this now. It's online for everybody. But uh, my Czech lager brewing deep dive that we did for our lager issue in the summer is now on the website, uh, The Art of the Addictive. And the idea is if you want to brew a more authentic Czech lager. Here's what the brewers tell us. Hey, we talked to a lot of brewers. Why do you do it this way? Uh, how do you do it? And just get as many details as we can. And then also think about what we're tasting and, and make try to connect all the dots. But also if you just want to brew that kind of beer that you end up selling more of or drinking more of uh, because you just have to have another one, this, there's little, you know, that's that's their game. That's their whole thing. They're trying to outdo each other in that game. And it's for us, the drinkers, it works out beautifully. So article, wallow in it. It's there. Also, demand more foam. Okay. Hey. That's all I'm going to say on that one. Joe, ne- yeah. next up, um, completely different beer. We're going off in a whole nother direction. Um, and uh, I think, you know, we should probably blame Stan for this one because Stan has become he has become the biggest advocate that we have found for pastry yeah. stouts, um, it is the most unlikely thing. But if we find someone advocating within our discussions about beers of the year, when we find someone advocating for pastry stouts, nine times out of ten, Stan Hieronymus, who would have yeah, thought? Yeah, pastry Stan. That's what we call him now. Uh, yeah, so he, this this beer is from uh, North Richland Hills, Texas. Uh, I believe that's Arlington area, Dar- Dallas. Or no, Dallas yeah, Fort Worth. Yeah, Dallas, yeah, Dallas Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Um, and it's False Idol. Ralphie runs wild. The story of the name had to be explained to us by Patrick Dawson. It's a reference to the Buffalo at Colorado Games, I guess. That's Ralphie. And he runs. Joe, you're not paying attention to Coach Prime? <laughs> Come on, man. Deion Sanders. Oh, right. Prime time, Denver or the uh, Boulder uh, CU Buffs, man. Like no, uh, this the Buffalo is their mascot, and apparently, uh, someone who has a relationship with the brewery, uh, you know, has a, a love of CU. Anyway, yeah. they named this beer for for Ralphie the Buffalo because uh, aged in Stranahan's whiskey barrels, Colorado whiskey. There's the connection. There's the Colorado connection. I will say, as a Fort Collins resident, the home of CSU Colorado State, the Rams. Uh, a big intrastate rival with uh, the Buffaloes down in Boulder. Uh, I, we, you can tell that we have a editorial integrity in this choice by allowing this to, to kind of pass. I, sh- <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I don't give. A, I don't care about the Rams. They're they're here. I have no connection to the university. But anyway, I'd like to pretend that uh, um, you know there's been no bias against our, our neighbors in Boulder over this uh, over this period. Yeah. Well, we can keep talking football. We're both SEC guys now, but I'm just going to move on here. Let's talk about vanilla because that is really the uh, element that I think, well, let's say it grabbed Stan's attention first. Uh, he wrote in his notes, need to learn more about vanilla. And so 
if I'm a little concerned because if our hops insider becomes a vanilla insider, it's really going to change uh, the dimension of our coverage in the brewing industry guide. But when Stan wants to go down a rabbit hole, you let him go and you see where it's going to take you. Um, yeah, if that happens, we can blame these guys at False Idol. Anyway, this beer, delicious, thick, leggy, black as hell, of course. But when you put your nose in there, then you're getting into the vanilla experience. And um, I think in beer broadly, as an ingredient, vanilla can be overdone. We all know that. It can also be really simple. But there is so much complexity also possible with vanilla and so much depth that's possible when it's done the right way and in balance. This vanilla happens to be Ugandan for you vanilla heads out there. Um, but we were getting like uh, cherry cordial, dark fruit compote notes from from the esters too. Um, I, for me, it was like we used to eat mincemeat pie Christmas every year. I was getting the mincemeat pie thing, like lots of just stewed raisins and spice and just, man, it was just deep. Uh, dark chocolate, of course, more vanilla, whiskey spice, and the way those things all work together is beautiful. Um, really big flavors, sweet, but deep and beautifully integrated. Um, it's, yeah, it was thick, warm, mitigated by this big marshmallowy body. I really enjoy how body can mitigate sweetness. Like it's, um, and I had, I got into a arguing about this at the judging table at GABF actually, because somebody was suggesting that, um, that a high finishing gravity meant the beer is sweet. And I was like, mm, well, yeah, but also that's body. And then body can change how you perceive sweetness. To me, it stretches it out sometimes instead of it being, you know, sharp and cloying. Anyway, that's another, <laughs> another aside, but I mean, there's, but the, the, all the, for all the fun and, and like childlike holiday flavors going on there, there's the warmth of the whiskey and there's the barrel tannin and it's like, yeah, okay, there's still some grown up here. And, and, um, I, I love that, that balance and going back and forth there. Really delicious beer. Like congratulations, false idol. Thank you for that. Sending that one. Absolutely. Next up on our list, hazy IPA cross strain fairy nectar, double dry hopped fairy nectar. Um, this one through the course of our, IPA issue earlier this year was our top scoring hazy IPA uh, pulled in a score of 98. The Palmares are there uh, and the Bonafides like it has a pedigree here uh, that's well respected. Uh, our judges when they are tasting things blind don't give a shit about that. Um, they have no idea what they're tasting. They have no idea what a beer has accomplished in the past. And through that process they they gave this beer a score of 98. As I've gone back into it again recently and and been tasting it again, I actually had a can before we started the podcast earlier tonight. You know, I think what I, what our judges respond to and what I have responded to most about this is uh, you know the kind of balance that uh, this is not this hazy IPA is certainly not one of the most murky, turbid, and sweetest, but really captures the softness, um, the softness of fruit flavor. Some of these, you know, stone fruit notes, and as well as these tropical guava and mango notes. Um, but the way that it balances these, the way that it approaches them with a subtlety, you know, rather than an intensity. Um, feels accomplished. It also feels drinkable. This is a, a a hazy IPA, double dry hopped hazy IPA 
that I could drink three or four of in a sitting and not grow tired of it, that, uh, you know, it doesn't have that intense fatigue factor because the goal is not just to beat you over the head with that most hop intensity that it can find. Um, you know, it, they, you know, it's just, there's a, a beauty to it and also a drinkability to it that I think our, our judges responded to. Um, nice to see that within, uh, you know, this kind of blind judging context, it's easier in a blind judging context to celebrate those things that ha- that lead, you know, that that grasp onto the the highest intensity, that uh, become those like slight outliers that uh, you know that kind of rise to the top because they shout the loudest. Um, this is not a beer that shouts the loudest. This is a beer that pulls it together in the most beautiful and most cohesive of ways. And for that, uh, it has earned its spot on our top twenty beers of twenty twenty three. Next up, Joe, we go uh, we go a little bit dark. Yeah, we're going to San Francisco. Uh, this one has a little story attached. I'll try to keep it short. There is actually another way for editors' picks, our best of the year, to happen. And one of those is that throughout the year, we just experience a great beer and we remember it later in the year when we're looking back. I, I look back, I try to keep notes as much as I can uh, without being antisocial at times. Uh, and I look back at my notes and see like what really killed it for me during the year. And this was one of those beers that killed it for me. So I reached out to Nick Mamir at Bartlett Hall Brewing. Uh, and I said, man, I loved that Powell Street Porter. When I was in there, I just was walking over San Francisco, tired feet, needed to sit somewhere. Hey, that looks like a bar. So my wife Kelly and I went in, sat down, ordered a beer. It's like, oh, I think they won a couple medals. We heard of these guys. And had a porter and it was just, damn, this is really good and started taking notes on I was like this is why I have to be antisocial honey I gotta take some notes and then you know come back to it later in the year and 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 yeah Nick sent us some beer said we put it in front of the table and what do you know I mean I didn't really know it was I, I can ask him to send it in I don't always know if it makes it or if it's there um so I didn't know what this was we didn't know what this was but again it just it was a hit at the table because it's a great beer Bartlett Hall, Powell Street Porter. That was a long, maybe that was a longer story than it needed to be, but we're at 6.4% ABV. This is not a big uh, barrel-aged monster. It's old school, kind of robust American porter. The balance on it is lovely. It's got the body. It's um, You get that mid-range caramel and and, and the berry esters for, for depth there. Uh, you get that, you do get that little bit of roasty espresso, and I think you want it there. It should be there. Uh, it's obviously easily overdone at times, and here it is just like hits the note perfectly. It's bitter, it's Swedish, it's roasty, finishes dry, really beautifully integrated, woven together. Uh, it's just a really fun beer to drink, and it's and it's one that you know you you finish a pint, and you're like, I'm gonna want another one of those. And for a you know for a six point four percent porter, that's that's not easy to do. So congratulations, Nick, great beer. If you guys get to San Francisco, get out to get out to Bartlett Hall and try some beers, man. There, Nick knows what he's doing over there. Next up on our list, West Coast Pilsner. Joe, is West Coast Pilsner a style? Is it real? Eh, yeah. I mean, if if enough people say it is, then I guess it starts to become a thing, right? I mean, we've done podcasts on it that have done really well. Obviously, we've written about it. Um, we publish recipes called West Coast Pills. So, but I. I like personally, I'm just interested in hop forward lager of all kinds. And um, 
you know, dry hop loggers, I think. So where are the hops coming from? If they come from Pacific Northwest, maybe that's a West Coast Pills. West Coast Pills, you know, Italian style pills, French style pills, Polish pills, uh, New England pills. I don't know. I don't care what it is. We're here for it. You know, send us your pills and send it with all of the creative hop expressions that uh, that you can imagine. And if they work well, then, hey, let's talk about it because uh, uh, I we are both here for any beers in this uh, high fours, low fives, you know, percentage range that capture this kind of flavor and do it with this kind of drinkability. I think that's what our judges loved about 12 West Radial Spines, one of our 20 beers, best beers of this year, and also a top score in our lager issue. Um, New Zealand pills, I guess we could also call it New Zealand pills. I mean, since we're going to try to, you know, slice and dice these styles to, uh, you know, like infinitely small subcategories. I like the idea of calling it cold pale ale because <laughs> because that's also also what it is. And, uh, you know, I mean, if we can just trigger people like that, then we might as well trigger people like that, too. 12 West, they've been sending us beer for the last couple of years. Super impressed with this brewery down in, uh, you know, the Fe- greater Phoenix area, Gilbert, Arizona, has done. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're playing across the field, but this beer, I think, captured this beautiful West Coast hop character and did it within this kind of Pilsner milieu, this kind of, uh, you know, nominally Pilsner idea. I can keep using the word nominally, um, but I just love it so much. I, I just can't stop. Nonetheless, radial spines, 5% ABV, tons of hop character, um, but also this beautiful drinkability that comes from uh, this lager fermentation that is so, that just allows them to focus so intently on the hops. It's not estuary. It's really just about all of that hop character, um, those kind of classic orange zest, tropical floral. Um, but that range, you know, the beautiful part of it is that they keep it. It's not, again, it's not loud. It's not trying to, uh, you know, to drown you out with this like high volume intensity. Um, they keep it down at a measurable range. And, you know, because of that, the beer doesn't become fatiguing. You get to experience all the beauty of these hops in just this kind of perfectly, uh, you know, perfect tone and perfect volume level um, to appreciate them without having to, uh, you know, to be deafened by them. Beautiful beer. Love what they're doing. Uh, Thank you to uh, uh, Gully at uh, 12 West. Uh, After we decided to add this to our list, we very casually said, hey, would you be up for for, uh, sharing a recipe for this beer with us without telling him that they had won a beer of the year? Uh, He Maybe he might have had an idea, Joe. I don't know if he did or not. Uh, He might have had some idea of what we were asking him about, but, uh, but he played along with us nonetheless. Definitely subscribe to the magazine, beerandbrewing.com. Click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber, and make your own version of, uh, of 12 West's radial spines. Compare it to the original. Buy a six-pack. Buy uh, a case of it and compare your own. Uh, and tell us what you think about uh, West Coast Pilsner. Joe, what's next on this? Another lager. Yeah, so... Uh, we gotta. We're gonna be talking a little bit about Winston Salem here for the a couple times in this in this uh, episode, and I don't want to give away too much. Uh, maybe actually, maybe this is gonna. It's, it's gonna. It's funny. Go ahead. It's funny you you say that because like Winston Salem shows up twice in this list. Gilbert, Arizona shows up twice in this list. The Bay Area shows up twice in this. There are Kansas City. five different. Kansas City shows up twice in this list. Ten of our beers of the year come from five cities or, or metro areas. 
Um, and there was a strange focus to that this year. Sorry for interrupting you. This one in particular uh, is from Winston-Salem. Yeah, well, the theme that we're seeing anyway out of the beers that are scoring really well with us and also winning medals too at times uh, is dark beers out of Winston-Salem. And so I'm super... If the, I don't know if that's coincidence. Maybe next year they win for for pale ales or something else. But it's just interesting to me that uh, anyway. This this is from Wise Man and Winston Salem. It's living a double life, double life because it's a doppelbach, and that's fun. And we're getting into more lager here too. It's a big doppelbach at eight and a half percent. So it's it's a bruiser, but it's um it's a it's a drinkable one. And and a doppelbach has to be if you're gonna if you're gonna do a a German you know German lager and call it that. Then I think you owe the tradition a certain, you know, attenuation. You got to get it balanced enough. You got to get it uh, fermented out enough that it's dangerous for its strength, whatever that strength is. So, but here you got all the malt depth too. Uh, it's really wonderful. None of it's overdone. Um, the way I describe it is like classical guitar complexity at easy listening volume. Nothing's hitting you over the head, but there's so much there to appreciate. Stewed plums, toasted muffin. Uh, dried oak leaves. I mean, sure. Like it's it's really fun beer. Uh, you, you can pay. You can dial in like that and pick things apart. Or again, you know, holidays are coming up. You could just drink a beer like this uh, and get loose with friends, and it would be uh, really fun. So anyway, great beer. We're gonna say more about Winston Salem soon here, but but uh, congrats to uh, Wise Man and and we got to get down there, Jamie, to Winston Salem and figure out what what's going on there with the dark malt. Next up on our list, not Winston-Salem, but this is the other duo of uh, towns or cities, whatnot, um, that I had just blanked on, KCBC, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York had two beers of our year, uh, beers of the year this year. This one is KCBC, Kings County Brewers Collective. Uh, Welcome to the Underworld, Hellas. Another top scorer from our lager issue, as rated by 99, I believe, by the uh, the blind judges of craft beer and brewing. New York City has hit a beer renaissance, a brewing renaissance. KCBC in uh, Bushwick doing killer work, really creative work, doing it with uh, fun, artsy, uh, edgy mentality to what they do, uh, at least within the packaging and within the way that they're presenting the brand. But the beautiful thing about the beer itself is that it, again, eschews this kind of minimalist vibe. Um, it embraces that idea of malt. You know, it is full, it's hopped, but it's not bitter like a Pilsner. But the, the, like there was just this overwhelming freshness in the flavor. It kept striking us as fresh malt. You know, it just there was something light and clean, full, but also not heavy. You know, and it made it feel like it was substantial without it being uh, like having a lot of weight to it. And, you know, that is just the the coolest experience for a Hellas that one could ask for, where it is both simultaneously satisfying and also easy to drink. What's up next, Joe? Yeah, so we're going to we'll go back to Kansas City for, for this next one. It's um, KC Beer, KC Beer Light. Um, and I think, okay, so we had, uh, we, we mentioned cross strain, um, cause they were in this space two years ago, I believe with their Saison. And that's impressive to do that with a Saison and a hazy IPA too. And KC beer is here. I think they were here a few years ago for the Hellas, for their Hell. I'm pretty sure the Hellas lager. Uh, so this is a German style Leicht beer, uh, three and a half percent alcohol. And it was, um, it was, it did well with the, with the blind review panel earlier this year. 
Um, it scored a 95, but that was being judged uh, along with a bunch of um, kind of bigger German-style Pilsners too. So that score stood out to us uh, as something like a 95 for a beer of 3.5% alcohol is really exceptional actually. So then to Jamie threw it into the to our editorial blind tasting and it was just one of those things where like we all could see like, yes, I mean, you could set your watch to this beer. It is precise. Uh, it is um, it is super light, but for that lightness, it has a lot of flavor. This, a lot of that structure is coming from a really nicely judged bitterness. It is kind of bitter, uh, and and that it's not overly bitter. And it you know it, with with this kind of light uh, lightness of frame, you really can't get away with a whole lot. But it tastes bitter, and it's in a in a way that makes you want to kind of keep hitting it. Um, there is a really you know feather light sweetness to it um but it's just it's just super clean a lot of flavor for three and a half percent alcohol really impressive beer it was one of those where we're just like yeah this is great like this is really well made we could drink a lot of it where's you know where's the argument where's where's the problem there is no problem with the beer it was it, we didn't really couldn't couldn't fault couldn't fault it we liked i think we also liked the idea of having a light beer on the on the list you know to be honest like but it but it belongs here it was well-made beer I think KC beer is an interesting brewery too, where they're they're just they're making fantastic, reverent German style lagers. They're a powerhouse in the region, um, or they're a force in the region at least, you know, for for craft beer. But I think they don't get sometimes they don't, people don't talk about KC beer as much as they talk about uh, Live Oak or Dovetail or Notch uh, among the the people who really appreciate uh, kind of traditional approaches to craft lager in the states. KC beer ought to be right up there, in my opinion. Great beer again. Congrats to KC Beer and that team there. Up next is not a lager. Up next is a first for Craft Beer and Brewing's uh, editor's picks for best beers of the year. It's a non-alcoholic beer. And this one, uh, actually, I mean, we we spent some time debating this one. Number one, because it was the lowest score from our blind panel of any beer on this list. It scored a, this beer, Two Roads, non-alcoholic, juicy IPA, scored a 91 with our blind judges, which speaks to something more interesting. Uh, when we have, t- when we tasted non-alcoholic beers um, back for, for that uh, first issue of this cycle, um, we tasted a lot of, let me just be perfectly honest with you, a lot of terrible beers about things that people should not have called beer about things that were basically hard seltzer with extract beer flavoring. And it was the same kind of scenario as when we first tasted uh, gluten-free beers years and years ago. There was one standout and there were a lot of, you know, attempts that didn't really meet the standard that we would have liked for beer. Of course, in that gluten-free category, the competition has improved immeasurably uh, and you know today's gluten-free beers are really excellent, um, and the the top of that category are very compelling beers, gluten-free or not. Um, what we're starting to see is now in this non-alcoholic category, the same thing is starting to be possible, where we have started to find brewers like uh, Phil Markowski at Two Roads, who are finding ways to make beer in this non-alcoholic space that is every bit as compelling as beer with alcohol. And, you know, at some level, that should be celebrated. It was great to see the same beer that our blind judges uh, gave the highest 
their highest rating, uh, you know, in this issue last year. Most recently also won a silver medal in the non-alcoholic category from from JBF. Also really cool to see. It's kind of awesome and cool to see Phil Markowski, a guy that most people probably know as writing the Farmhouse Ales book, who has constantly been pushing innovation at Two Roads in all of these things. Like, it, you know, I will note that their hard seltzer, H2 Roads, was our highest rated seltzer uh, a few years ago when we put those in front of our blind judges, that this guy who has made some of the most traditional approaches to traditional farmhouse uh, wild and sour beers is also just a phenomenal leader in this kind of spectrum of innovation, and but also finding ways to make all of these innovative beer styles uh, and related things taste good. You know, because that's ultimately where it all comes back to. If these things don't taste good, then what's the point? If it doesn't feel like this is a legitimate, uh, something I can legitimately enjoy in lieu of a beer, then it hasn't succeeded. And I will say this, and the reason that this beer is on our list this year, this is the first non-alcoholic beer that we have tasted where we have felt that we can enjoy this as a beer and not feel like we are sacrificing beer at, you know, in the uh, pursuit of some other goal. Well said. Yeah. It's, it's exciting to see what's going on with non-alcoholic beer now. Just getting better and better all the time. The next beer on our list, however, has plenty of alcohol in it, Joe, and plenty of malt. This is another one from Winston-Salem. Yeah. Yeah. I, we're going to Incendiary, and man, these guys are having a good year. They won two golds at World Beer Cup this year. Uh, one for their Schwartz beer and also for their brown porter. And this is where I'm going to mention that in this particular issue, in our Ask the Pros section toward the, toward the front of the magazine, we have uh, a sort of a brewer's perspective and a recipe on how they put together their brown porter and, uh, written by Josh Weikert. So we got the recipe there. You can get into that. We have already published the recipe for this one, Incendiary Schwartz beer. Uh, we had that in our lager issue this summer on how to brew a, a gold medal Schwartz beer. So, and and here it is. I mean, it was kind of a no doubter for this list too. It scored a ninety nine with the with the review panel. We loved it. It's a great beer. Again, dark malt, Winston Salem. What's going on? I don't know. It's interesting. Go find out. Maybe there's something in the water. I think that I, I mentioned this with the, with uh, with the Doppelbach too. But but um, if you're gonna call it a Schwartz beer, that implies uh, a German sensibility toward drinkability. So it's got to be drinkable. It's got to be balanced. It can't stick out too far in any direction. And, and this is just really nicely put together. Um, it's It's got that that color you're looking for, just those like red highlights. Like a, a Schwartz beer really isn't black, black. It's just not quite black. And this looks exactly like it's supposed to look uh, for whatever that's worth. We don't care. We want to drink it. You get like a cold brew coffee smoothness to it. Uh, it's lightly sweet, but it's not sweet in any real way. You've got just this agility to the beer, the way it's going between these soft notes of chocolate, dark caramel, suggesting sweetness, but it never gets sweet. Uh, and a little bit of light roast. It just It's just balanced, restrained, gently bitter, finishes dry enough. It's light. It's clean. It's just a really delicious beer. It's well made, and we've got 
Uh, if you look back, look at our website, Gold Medal Schwartzberry, you can search it up and you've got the their, this was a recipe from their quality control manager, Adam uh, Goetz. Uh, I'm saying that the right German way. I don't know how his family says it. My, our family has been mispronouncing our German name for a few generations now. So, but the, um, it's, it's a beer that you can kill just as, just as many pints of as you could a Pils or a Helles, but it's a striking, you know, dark in the glass and, um, nice job putting it together incendiary. And again, we got to get to Winston-Salem and figure out what's going on there. Coming up next, uh, from the Bay area, Oakland, California, right across the Bay, from your friends at Bartlett Hall, um, Ghost Town, Nose Goblin, Double IPA, West Coast Double IPA. Um, this beer really doesn't need any introduction. Gold medals in 2021 and 2022 uh, at the Great American Beer Festival. Um, I mean, just a, a tremendous accomplishment in a very tough category. There, there's a few things, I think, that are feeding ghost town and it's not just ghost town there is this incredible high performance culture in the east bay in particular you know between cellar maker wondrous original pattern uh, you know like a bunch of really killer beer makers you know so to come out with a beer like nose goblin and be so successful with it and to make a splash with it within this context is hard there is so much great beer being made within an hour, two hours, three hours of where Ghost Town is. And so figuring out how to make something that's going to uh, rise above, you know, this incredible level of high quality. I love this beer. It's super fun to drink. It's uh, exciting to see the sort of, you know, resurgence of West Coast style we're talking about. I don't know if this is that. I think it is. It officially is. It's West Coast, like geographically. Um, I think that there's a uh, there's a softness, the right word. There's a slight softness to the ghost town beers that I enjoy. It's not, they're not really hard edges. I, I kind of, maybe some, sometimes I, you know, I like bitterness. Maybe I want it to feel more bitter than it is. Um, but you still like keep going back for, for more and more. Uh, and I got to go to the ghost town tap room actually this, this past summer too. And that was really, or one of them, it was a and I knew what I wanted, you know, like I, I, I'm in there and I'm like thinking I should probably try a few others, but damn, I know that one's going to be good. So I had to have a nose goblin. Rip my face yeah, off. Great. Yeah. yeah. Really fun. Crush my soul. No, exactly. You know, there's, there's something I think, you know, to the way that they select hops where when you say no rough edges, I agree with you, but I think there's still like uh there's a spark to it. I, you know, I still haven't gotten to the complete bottom of what that is, but nonetheless, Ghost Town Nose Goblin deserves its spot here, and we are humongous fans of the way that they brew. It's also, we got an all-access recipe for this on the website, too, so look it up. Ghost Town Nose Goblin. And so our last and final beer, Joe, our final beer, the 20th on our list of 20 best beers of 2023, is a barley wine that earned its spot on this list through our best in beer tasting. Yeah, this is uh, from Norfolk, Virginia. This is Benchtop's Old Wooden Ship. And I think uh, I may have already used the phrase platonic ideal earlier this episode already talking about barley wine. And I think for judges, it's a bit of a cliche, right? To look for the platonic ideal of a particular style. Uh, but it's interesting to think about what is it when we think of any particular style, but in this case, barley wine. Have we not moved past this stupid metaphor of the cave <laughs> and the idea that, uh, that that any of this shit actually exists come on aren't aren't we i mean 
in terms of you know aesthetic critique, aren't aren't we well past that at this yeah. point? Can we just put the platonic ideal to bed? Well, it's going to get more into more like a semantic uh, explanation of it because our idea of what a barley wine is or what anything is is based on all of our experience with that thing, right? So all the barley wines we've ever tasted, uh, it, you know, in our lives, add up to something in our minds, and particularly the good ones that you remember, and then. Of course, along the way, you absorb some style guidelines maybe, and uh, maybe you try to brew it sometimes at home or in professional capacity. You know, you, you you develop this idea of what it's supposed to be, and then sometimes you drink something and it's like, it lights up all those little centers of your brain that like, boop, barley wine alert, boop, boop. It's just like, this tasted, I guess, like you want one to taste. Um, and again, the beer flavors thing was coming up uh, with Stan and I. Let's talk about this beer. A year in Heaven Hill bourbon barrels. Um, but it's, it's not a bourbon heavy barley wine. It's just, it's like the bourbon and the barrel are, are adding these beautiful accents to malt. And it was, it was, um, really fun to get lost in that. It was, it's like, uh, the bourbon and the barrels there are like pulling strings and having influences and, and helping determine outcomes, but they're not, you know, they're behind the curtain. It's, it's interesting how that works. I love it when it's, when that's done well. Um, and then you've got you know, deep caramel depth, um, big caramel nose on it with, with like figs soaked in brandy or something, poached pears, milk chocolate, uh, herbal hops. And then, yeah, a little kiss of whiskey there. And I'm, I'm still talking about the aroma. I mean, so th- it, there's a lot to, to do there. And then, and then on the tongue, it's like, yeah, it's big, uh, on the palate. Um, it's sweet again. Another one of those, it's like, yeah, it's sweet, but it's deep. Uh, there's a lot here to explore. You got some burnt sugar, that deep toffee, dark fruit. Uh, it's it's just, and then of course, yeah, a little little bit of barrel too is there, and that little sherry oxidation you're looking for there is too. That just also signals like barley wine, and it, and it's like as good as this was. I mean, it was this was unquestionably one of the best beers that we tasted, um, even among these twenty. I still think it would be better after a year in the cellar, and that's I mean, I, it was just really fantastic beer. Old wooden ship. It's a it's a cool name too, right? It sounds like a barley wine. Old wooden ship. And that brings to a close our editor's picks for best beers of 2023. Next up on this best in beer episode uh, is our readers' picks for favorite beer styles, and this is going to wrap up this episode. Interestingly enough, uh, we have loved asking this question of our readers year after year to also see how things change. And this year, things have changed. Things have changed, not at the very top, but the number two spot. We had two beer styles trade places this year, and it is very interesting to see. We're going to go through this. Uh, We asked you what your favorite beer style was. Um, At the bottom of the list, but still in double digits, Right at about 12%, 11.8% of uh, respondents re- uh, re- uh, mentioned that one of their favorite beer styles was smoked ale or lager. Right above that at 13.9% barley wine. At 14% of respondents, uh, fruited sour, that's a quick or kettle soured fruited sour. of respondents mentioned that Hefeweizen or or wheat beer was one of their favorite styles. 
15% of respondents uh, mentioned that brown ale was one of their favorite styles. And of course, these are not exclusive. We didn't have you know, we didn't make people pick one. We just said you know list all you know your your favorite styles. Sixteen point four percent of respondents mentioned that Abbey styles, double, triple, and quad uh, were some of their favorite styles. Just a hair above that, sixteen point five percent. Amber and red ales were those favorites. Seventeen point two percent. English style ales were right above that. Um, at 17.3%, just squeaking out ahead of it, wild, spontaneous, and mixed culture ales. At 17.9%, porter, right above that. Um, and then, of course, neck and neck with uh, under uh, stouts, under 7.5% ABV at 18.4%. Vienna Lager, right above that, 22.8% of respondents listed that as a favorite. Imperial Stout came down a a few spots here. Um, 26.3% of respondents listed Imperial Stout as one of their favorite styles. Um, Definitely off uh, off of its high over the last few years. Saison, however, you know, still coming in strong there. 27.9% 27.9% of respondents listing Saison as their as one of their favorite styles. Hellas, right above that, 31.9% of respondents listing Hellas among their favorite styles. Pale Ale in the number four spot, 42.5% of respondents listing Pale Ale as one of their favorite styles. In the number three spot, and this one was number two last year, 44.5% of respondents listed Hazy IPA as one of their favorite styles. What was it that unseated Hazy IPA for the number two spot? Yes, you guessed it correctly. Pilsner, 52.9% of our survey respondents listed Pilsner as their number two, uh, or as their uh, one of their favorite styles, enough people that have put it in the number two spot on our readers list of favorite styles to brew or drink, and in the number one spot once again, in the same spot that it's been, I believe, since we started asking this question, sixty point one percent of respondents to the reader survey listed IPA, American or West Coast IPA as their one of their favorite styles to brew or drink. Joe, what do you think about Pilsner taking the number two spot away from Hazy IPA? I I think that's encouraging. And it means that, you know, I also still like seeing Saison up there pretty high too. And Pale Ale is up high. I mean, I think these it's a I think it's a good reminder actually that our readers are mostly brewers. And so you these are some of these are brewers beers. Maybe we hear a lot about pale ale and saison not selling well, uh, in some cases, or not if you call them that. Uh, but um, but but brewers still want to drink them, and and most of y'all listening and voting are, are brewers, and so there is to see a pilsner at number two in that context makes a ton of sense to me, and I love to see it. I'm here for it too. Thank you all for your thoughtful, uh, nuanced voting in our reader survey. We appreciate all of you all for sharing your time with us, sharing your thoughts as readers as to what the uh, best breweries, 
best beer styles, best beer cities, best places to drink beer. All of those things are this year. Um, please, if you're not, sign up for our email newsletter. That is the place where next September you will receive notification of our voting, a reader survey voting going live again. Our, those members of our email newsletter get first notification about that. So even if you're not a subscriber, and of course, if you're not a subscriber, why are you not a subscriber? You should be a subscriber. There's plenty of great content within Craft Beer and Brewing that if you've cared to listen to this point through the podcast, you're going to care even more about reading that. So spend a few bucks, support us, support uh, media, and uh, vote with your dollars for what you care about. Become a subscriber, become a supporter of Craft Beer and Brewing, and let us know what content really matters to you. But also become a, a newsletter subscriber and uh, get that notification. Get out there and vote next year. Share your thoughts on what these best beers, best styles, best breweries are because you are such a crucial and integral part of this entire best in beer issue year after year after year. Um, next week, we'll be back with the Critics List episode of the podcast where I pop on uh, with Joe, with Alex Kidd, uh, with Stan Hieronymus, with Kate uh, Bernat, with Courtney Iceman, and talk about each of their favorite beers of the year. We appreciate you, uh, you know, listening through this and, and listening to us share our editor picks, your reader picks, all of these things that make up our best of the year. Joe, do you have any thoughts before we check out of here? No, just congratulations to all the brewers uh, who, who've made these fantastic beers that were just uh, delighted our judges and, and us at the table. It's just, it's such a privilege that we get to do this. Um, and again, you know, it's it's fun to see that process uh, starting to unfold all over again now with uh, our spring issue is going to be the malt issue. The invitation's out there, beerandbrewing.com, help center. You'll find any instructions on how to submit if you want to get into it. Well, one of the big things that we try to approach on this um, we don't gatekeep our list. We allow everybody to submit beers. We do ask that you be a subscriber to the magazine if you're going to send us beer to review because we would appreciate some support in that regard. You know, but at the same time, you know, we don't charge an entry fee for sending beer to the magazine uh, to you know consider for reviewing these issues. We are trying to and taste through all of the diversity of beer that exists out there in the world, exists out there in the United States, but also exists out there in an international uh, spectrum. Um, we want to do the best job that we can to bring you the best content around uh, you know, beer and about the act and art and craft of brewing. And we appreciate everything the brewers do to support us in that and be able to bring you this kind of content. Um, Joe, I think that's a great place to close. Do you want to read us out? Yeah, yeah. For years, G&D Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000-plus breweries across the country. Increase fermenter capacity sustainably with Firm Cap Eco from Kerry. Flavor your lineup and streamline your sourcing by heading to oldorchard.com backslash brewer. ProBrew currently features short lead times between two to four weeks for their in-stock ProFill rotary can fillers. Omega's thialized yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops. Build your complimentary sample box today at perfectpuree.com backslash beer. And $3 per pound ordered of the Yakima Chief Hops Pink Boots blend will be donated directly to the Pink Boots Society. Go to beerandbrewing.com and click on the subscribe button to let us know this content matters to you. 
you almost you almost nailed it, Joe. Uh, it's oldorchard oldorchard.com forward slash brewer, and it's perfectpuree.com forward slash beer. Enough. So as long as people get those URLs correctly, damn it. Next year, next year, Joe, you're going to nail it. Yeah. Okay. Start practicing now. We're going to get this figured out. Um, Anyway, thanks to all of you all who have listened through this. This is one of our longest episodes of the year, as it is all every year. Um, But we love celebrating. We love the opportunity of this. There's, you know, there's so much challenge. There's so much negativity in the world. Um, that this is such a special opportunity for us to celebrate creativity, to celebrate technical prowess, to celebrate the beauty, the art of talented craftspeople across the spectrum of beer making um, and lift up all of these fantastic beer makers wherever they are across the country, across the world and say, hey, look at this. There's amazing work being done. There's amazing things being made in the world of craft beer. Um, craft beer's time is not up yet, even if the craft, even if larger mainstream media wants to write some narrative because of you know some craft beer brewers are struggling right now. Um, just because there are some you know headwinds against small business in this country does not mean that the last chapter of craft beer has been written. And all of these 20 beers of the year are proof that creativity has not stopped moving forward. All of the beers that have scored highly throughout the year for craft beer and brewing are proof that there's still much more to be written in this history of craft beer, that craft brewers aren't done. So keep brewing, keep making great beer, keep uh, blowing our minds, and keep challenging all of our assumptions about uh, you know what we think we know because every year we learn new things. Every year uh, our assumptions get challenged. And every year you, that's you, brewers out there, um, change our minds about things that we thought that we knew, that we realized that we don't know. So keep doing that. Keep challenging us. Keep feeding back to us. And uh, let's keep making craft beer just a little bit better. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.